Hello and welcome to the Miko Bits show and I'm your host Miko Bits. Today I have an exciting guest which is Alex who created the Alex coin. So uh, Alex Masmej, he is an entrepreneur in the DeFi and NFT space and I think uh, it'll be an exciting show. So um, as, as with all of these shows, you know, it's opinion and information and entertainment, but it's not investment advice. So, you know, seek a duly licensed professional and, you know, don't don't buy things that people on the Internet tell you to buy. Uh, so, um, yeah. So uh, with I guess without further ado, uh, you know, just before we jump in, uh, before we start, if you're interested in Bitcoin and blockchain, please consider clicking that subscribe button. And also click the bell so you can get notifications about future videos that I might post. Thank you. Okay, without further ado, uh, hey, it's Alex. How are you? Hey, Miko. How's it going? Super stoked to be here. Thanks you for having me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's great having you here uh, from the International Space Station. Uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> my first my first show from Thanks space. The moon. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I guess would be great to just get the first, uh, you know, kind of feeling. So, you know, I think that, that one of the things that is in your claim to fame is the Alex token, right? So you've effectively tokenized yourself. So, you know, maybe you can explain a little bit about, you know, how did that happen? <laughs> For sure. So it happened actually uh, personal tokens, which is a currency that represents someone's work or potential or rights to equity or rights to, you know, a product redeemable uh, created by that person. Um, it, it started actually, that was my entry to the space. I was just, you know, last year, um, just dropped out of a computer science school and um, just wanted to go to an Ethereum event, right? A blockchain conference, but I didn't have the funds. And so I just tweeted, um, you know, I, I'd love to make it if I had unlimited funds to that conference. And someone basically sent me a loan and told me, you know, let's create a token that represents your loan and it's backed by your reputation. Uh, and this was called the Alex Masmej Loan 2019. Um, mm -hmm. That's a token on Etherscan that you can check on the blockchain. And so since then, a company called Roll contacted me and told me, you know, we can do a generalized token that can be whatever you want it to be. And we, you know, like I decided to call it Alex and I've done a bunch of experiments with it. And uh, the, the most notable one and the one that kickstarted the Alex token uh, traction in some ways is a, a small income sharing agreement where I raised $20,000 to say, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to have a bit of cash up front because I'm quite young. This is one of my first ventures that I'm ever starting. And uh, I'd love to get some help. And so this is how it started. And uh, because of the great reaction, I've done actually most uh, other experiments on the Alex token itself. And I've, I'm continuing to do so even right now. That's so that's like the small story um, happened in March this year, the Alex token. And uh, so far, so good. That's exciting. And uh, that's, a, that's a really fun. It's a fun story. And, uh, you know, I, so you mentioned that you were young. Uh, you know, can you can you mention how old are you? So actually, I am less young than I was because so I was, I think, 22, turning 23 uh, earlier last year. And now I just turned 24. Hey, so this is why birthday. I'm trying to separate my identity from my age anymore, because I feel like 23 is the cutoff for very young people. Right. And so now it's like, you know. I'm an adult. Yeah, yeah, you're just a regular adult. That's that's great. So, uh, you know, it's exciting to understand. So when you talk about kind of experiments with the identity token or with Alex, like t tell me more about like the experiments, like, you know, like for for what what have you been doing with it? So first it was an income sharing agreement saying, you know, I am seeking twenty thousand um, dollars and I will be moved to San Francisco, get a green card or uh, a visa. And, and start start from there. Um, so that was my initial plan. Uh, two weeks after COVID nineteen happens, um, and so I I spent most of my time in Paris. Now I'm in London, and I I found it so interesting because I I was I didn't have a, much of a clue of what my next venture would be. The Alex token was kind of like uh, in anticipation of, of doing one. At the time, I had Rocket, which was 
uh, which was a platform that took NFT as collateral, whether it's crypto art or uh, virtual real estate, open worlds like Decentraland or uh, collectibles. And, and it was uh, issuing loan against it. But the reason why I decided to slow down and like stop Rocket eventually, because it kind of ended, I think, two months ago. Um, and it was really cool. Like we made 6% on ETH after all the loans that we made uh, against NFTs. Um, and, and I decided I wanted to go for a bigger market because, you know, it's the intersection between DeFi and NFT, two very cutting edge fields. And I thought this was a bit too early. And so I did my token. And then the first thing that comes to mind is that, wait, this is quite successful. Like it actually speaks to people like investing in someone early uh, is great. And so then I decided to continue doing experiments with that Alex token itself. So it was supposed to be a means to an end, but for the next few months, I just continued pushing uh, the own token because I was one of the first to ever use a personal token uh, to, to leverage myself. And so in two words, initially I thought it would be, you know, getting money up front and getting a board of advisor because then the people who buy in your token, they now have an incentive to help you, right? To become skin in the game mentors. And so this is kind of what happened. Uh, and then two months in, Otten Griffiths, which is a pretty known developer uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem, told me, you know, uh, let's do something with your token where people could vote with their token, with the ERC-20 and sign a message so that, you know, you don't even have to pay gas fees, it's free. You sign with your wallet, um, any decision. And so this is when I did uh, something called Control My Life, where people could basically pick a tiny habit of me in July 2020, so like this year. And uh, I, I chose like between fun things, you know, I just wanted to experiment with maybe the future of creators, um, influencers or entrepreneurs of like asking for governance by people who have the stake and who have the incentive to, to drive you as a person um, because they owed that token. And so it was basically like a funny lightweight uh, habit, like running five kilometers every day for the month of July, which I've done. Um, so I've done that uh, after my income sharing agreement. And then two months later, um, I did a partnership with Whale, which is another personal token. It's called like, it's more a community token, but it's under the same umbrella of social tokens, which is a new primitive, which I think will be the next wave after DeFi NFT. It, it sounds really interesting to me. And so Whale is um, a community of people who collects NFT. So art or any valuable collectibles. Um, and they, you know, we said to each other, let's exchange our tokens and give our tokens to the other community. So I gave Alex to the whale community. The whale token is going to be distributed to the Alex holders in two weeks time. And it's an amazing experiment in cross marketing pretty much because no value was given to advertisers. And now each community knows each other and it's more than just the financial value given because I've been on an AMA and an interview on the whale community. Same for the whale creator went on my Telegram group chats. And so, yeah, this is a great cross-marketing experiment. So these are the three main things, but then Alex is a bit like a small company. Like I've, I've hired people for a personal website. Um, I've had a, a Telegram group where you need to buy some Alex to get in that group. And if you ever sell your Alex token, you will be kicked out of that group. Hmm. So it's a very fun mechanism. Um, then what else? I've got a monthly newsletter, kind of like an investor update for entrepreneurs. Uh, but this time it's for my Alex holders and people who are willing to pay for the subscription. Uh, so read, there's tons of things that I've done, many, uh, you know, around, uh, so income sharing agreement first, voting, exclusive access to content, marketing, um, but then, you know, now there's two things like it, it's great to be to do experiments, but now I want to maybe, you know, go back to my roots, which is building startups, building fully fledged out products and, and stop doing this kind of small hacks and experiments. Uh, and so the future is super exciting and uh, I'm really uh, excited about what's next. But yeah, that's so far, and, uh, that's very fun. I think in the 1990s, there was actually an experiment, which was uh, Justin TV. I don't know if you remember this. Yes. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, you know, it's kind of reminiscent of that, which is you know someone who really put their own 
lives on the internet in a video form. Uh, this was way back in the in the olden days, uh, back when back when uh, you know videos were like this size, <laughs> you know. And, and I know, and I, I hope I become the same as Justin can. Right then, Twitch is um, you know sold to Amazon for billions of dollar. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a successful project. He did well uh, with himself, yeah. and uh, you know, very very creative person and a very successful one. So, you know, that would be a great a great template. You know, obviously, it's a completely new internet with tokenization and you know the internet of value. So, uh, you were talking about kind of future stuff. So, I'd love to kind of get into that. Like, tell me what you're thinking. And you know, I obviously, you know, you you looked at Rocket, which is sort of lending associated with nfts right so you can have some kind of item and you can you know get get lending of the item but i guess the you know which i think makes the most sense for things like game items you know so i i guess you know the big question becomes you know what what's what's next in your mind you're talking about bigger markets so so what's next in my mind um so in the past six months i was uh, figuring out how to do um so i'm really passionate about two markets which is consumers and, and founders, entrepreneurs. And so one path, which is something that I'm exploring with Seed Club, which is a social token incubator that helps uh, people explore that token. Because the truth is I kickstarted the trend in March and, and we're in October, right? It's only be barely six months. Like this is such a new industry, such an untapped opportunity. And so one path of my future potentially would be creating a personal token fellowship, creating the white combinator, uh, you know, re reinventing the pre-seed round with those tokens where Silicon Valley is not anymore the place to be to, to fundraise. And if you have a community of just a few thousand followers like I've had in March, uh, you can leverage uh, your reputation. You can monetize better. So that's one path. And I'm super excited to be part of Seed Club. I'm a founding member. And so it's an incubator where um, RAC, which is a Grammy-winning uh, award artist, um, is going to experiment as a, as a creator. I will experiment as an entrepreneur. Uh, there will be Brian Flynn, which is a content creator, uh, ex-Dapo Labs, a very smart person, uh, and, and others. So maybe creating a personal token fellowship to build the new uh, decentralized, you know, teal fellowship where you can really leverage talents from anywhere in the world just by fundraising in crypto and uh, also for investors to be able to invest in new talents in ways that wasn't possible before. So that's one path for me. But the other path is that I'm really into startups. This is what got me into crypto and, and just funding my own startup. And so let alone a fellowship, you know, building a product, uh, maybe a platform for people to, to create uh, their token, because it's kind of like an edge I have as a founder is that I can, uh, I can use and dog food my own experience and my own token with my own holders uh, in the platform that I'm creating, kind of like Justin TV uh, did with himself and then Twitch. Um, so uh, yeah, or something around DeFi, which I'm really excited about for consumers. So how do we repackage the DeFi, the NFT, the, the crypto ecosystem that we went so deep down the rabbit hole and how to make it digestible for consumers. So also exploring that and super excited for anything that comes. So right now I'm just, you know, building and seeing what sticks, uh, but I'm not too uh, pressed for time. I know this is a very long game. Uh, this is going to, this future is going to take decades to build and um, I'm taking my time. And in the meantime, of course, experimenting with the Alex token uh, and keeping, uh, you know, uh, my audience engaged and, and making sure that I succeed as an entrepreneur. How uh, how many holders are there uh, for Alex Token? This is obviously easy to find out, but yeah, uh, I think right now uh, three hundred and fifty, so three hundred roughly three hundred and ten on Etherscan are viewable. But then on the Trial platform, uh, you can have it off chain, so you just sign it with an email and uh, a, a password, and so it doesn't count on Etherscan, so it's Got not it. viewable. Um, so yeah, around 350 people. I, I checked two days ago. Oh, that's really cool. And, uh, it's, a, it's such an interesting, uh, trend. I mean, I think one of the business models that I think there are business models that are emerging around artists and, and, you know, celebrities, uh, such as like OnlyFans, and there's obviously, you know, other ones like, uh, Patreon, you know, so I, 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 I do you see a relationship between these business models and, 
you know, it feels like the OnlyFans thing is really the business model caters towards sort of super whales, you know, and it also caters more towards a recurring or sponsorship type of model, right? So these are these are kind of the 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 emerging tendencies, right? So you know, I, I what's your thought about things like recurring, and what's your thought about like these other these other kind of non crypto models? Right. Uh, so yeah, definitely uh, recurring revenues, ARR, all of those things uh, create sustainability. Um, so it's really needed. Uh, the, the problem with uh, Kickstarter, Patreon, uh, you know, even Spotify with streaming is that, um, first of all, on the legacy financial system uh, and the normal Web2 platforms, uh, there's way more fees for the artists. And second, it is just for the early believers and, and the people who want to buy that product uh, that purchase that subscription, right? Uh, and so with crypto, there's this magic uh, component of speculation where if you don't push and, you know, there's too much speculation and it kind of like burns the purpose of it. If you just use the right amount, not only you get your early believers, but you also get the rational, economically rational investors that will come. And so that grows your pool of early people needed to kickstart your business and give you the, the the funds and the sustainability that you seek and that is great. And so this is why improving on Kickstarter or Patreon model, you have Zora and Foundation right now, which are two great startups based in San Francisco um, that basically say, okay, like the price of a subscription, the price of an item, uh, every time someone buys it, the price goes up, every time someone sells it, the price goes down in crypto, it's called a bonding curve. There's no need for liquidity uh, at the start. And so the artist or that person gets the lion's share of the speculation. And um, it's it's a win-win for everybody because you can um, invest in early artists. Um, you, can, you can get the product at the fair market price. Uh, you also control the secondary market because, for instance, like, you know, Kenya West has Yeezys, which is a sneaker collaboration with Adidas. It's sold at X price but then the secondary market explodes because of the scarcity. But in crypto, not only you can encode the scarcity, but you can also control the primary market and decide the price. And so if the demand is really high, the price will go up. And so the the, the creator can monetize much more. Um, so that's what I would say, like crypto really enables to um, add more value than, than Patreon, which is just, you know, I'm paying for that service. And here you can pay, but you can also speculate on that service as well. Got it. Got it. Uh, it's it's very it's very interesting. So when you so you were talking about future scenarios about kind of consumerization or giving access or making it much easier for people, you know, uh, either just DeFi in general or this kind of tokenization pattern. So I guess you know how would you envision uh, you know a future where people can do this very easily. So I would say, uh, just like Twitch streamers, um, not everyone will create their own token, but probably everyone will at least hold tokens from a community, a fellowship, or an artist, or an entrepreneur uh, that they care about. Um, and this is great because it distributes assets to more people. Right now, most people hold assets for you know uh, stocks or others, but it's very limited. And so giving this to most consumer um, would be would be awesome. So the, I see a future where anyone that wants to start any project um, will will create the sort of equity that is super liquid and, and software based that is uh, tokens. And not only just people who want to start something for themselves alone as you know, a politician, creator, entrepreneur, but also community first. So, you know, why not like a, a subreddit or a Facebook group or, you know, a, a political party, like a collective first could create a token and give them to the most active and engaged participants so that um, it's, it becomes a powerful tool for coordination and collaboration at scale. And we've never really seen this before. Uh, there's Wikipedia that's a really great open source collective of people but what if there was financial incentive tied to it? Like how much bigger could it become? And uh, we know startups is a great model. You start with three co-founders, you can build billions of dollars a company, but I'm sure that communities could start from scratch and build enormous things um, that we just don't even know of right now. 
Have you been involved in discussions about, you know, regulatory implications? Yeah, so I'm very confident of the legal team at Roll, which is the company that issued my token. Um, so pretty much every use case uh, in the Alex token is a utility, right? So like you get access to my newsletter, uh, you can vote on my life, which is basically like, you know, uh, signing a message and proving that you own those tokens. Uh, you can access my Telegram group. And so all of these things uh, bring utility to my token. Um, and uh, yeah, like, the, you know, the, it's not guarantee that my token is going to go up or down. It is not uh, tangible. Um, and so my, my income sharing agreement was uh, an OTC deal, a private deal with 30 people at the start where I give 10% of the supply. But, you know, the entirety of what's available on secondary trading markets is, um, is only utility and does, does not entitle you to any dividends or income or, or things like this. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's really, that's really cool. Uh, well, good. Uh, I guess, I guess any, any thought, other kind of thoughts about the development of the space, you know, where, where do you see DeFi today and, you know, uh, where do you see it, you know, in, in a few years? So right now DeFi has really grown exponentially since, uh, the start of comp. So since 2017, the space has had kind of like a PTSD of tokens. Uh, you know, no one was doing tokens anymore. No one was doing DAOs anymore as well because of the DAO hack in 2016. But now that um, the space recovered, innovation completely exploded. Um, and, and we're seeing tons of incentive being pushed to the extreme. So, you know, the distribution of tokens, um, like also wars between protocols, like which pool to incentivize the most, um, and and like how to compose on top of each protocol the best way possible. So Wiren composes on all the different um, yield farming pools and is being reviewed by some of the top talents in the space. So the Wi-Fi token, which is a token of Wiren, probably has a lot of value because there's a ton of talents that hold the token that have the incentive to to fix. Uh, and so it's the first instance actually of a community uh, building a great product, not just one person or a startup sized team. Um, so DeFi is really exploding. It is still a huge rabbit hole. We haven't fixed, um, you know, fiat on ramp layer two oh. UX. So like UX is like a wallet, for instance, that's simpler than MetaMask. Um, like no offense again, MetaMask, like I, I love, uh, and also the MetaMask uh, lead and founder is uh, Alex Holder, but, uh, it's just that, uh, yeah, that there's a few gateways that prevents normal people from accessing the space, uh, but DeFi is great. And so that's why I'm excited about NFT and community and social tokens is because uh, it's easier for people to, um, to, to, to understand, right? Like art or investing in someone, um, having a stake in a, a community of, of artists or something that just you know, lets you forget all the financial primitives and the complexity of the technology uh, is, is great. Yeah, I think the biggest problem in some ways to consumerization is really the custody problem, right? Because in a sense, like, you know, the definition of decentralized and centralized, you know, should really hinge on, you know, ownership, right? So, you know, if, if you know, the idea that, that, it's handled by a custodian, you know, is a, it's kind of awkward, right? So it basically means that at some point, you know, the participant needs to have custody over the private keys, right? So I guess what I would say is, you know, that's a, that's a hurdle when it comes to consumerization, because, you know, obviously most consumers are not uh, all that knowledgeable about public key cryptography as yet. Yeah, I totally agree. Um... Yeah, because you want people to hold their own assets and to benefit from, you know, maybe interoperability of NFTs that, you know, you can reuse art and maybe like, you know, in the future, there will be some art galleries where you could, you could directly sell your NFT to that gallery to like for two weeks. And, and, you know, if you don't hold it yourself uh, and it's a custodian, then they will take a percentage of it. And it just goes back to the rent seeking problems that we had previously. But at the same time, if you give people the full self-ownership and self-custody, they also have to deal with the risks. And yes. so we need a UX that blocks 
every single uh, loophole where they could lose their uh, funds or assets. And so that's a very hard balance to strike. I think a tourist wallet is doing a really great job um, at being semi-decentralized because you log in with your Facebook or Google, so it's familiar to people and uh, they can easily uh, create uh, a, a, a wallet for you that's not too hard where you can have your assets, you can buy easily and they don't take as many fees um, as other uh, exchanges or more centralized services. So yeah, like it's it's getting there, but it's it's quite slow. But I mean, like the technology is so young, it's been only five years. Yeah, and the thing that's really interesting becomes that you quickly, like, you know, the rabbit, rabbit hole is a great phrase, for, you know, that I've seen a lot around DeFi because it, it gets fairly complex quickly, right? Because even if you handle things like identity really smoothly, you know, there's still there are still things like contract permissions, you know, and so, you know, even it's like, how do you make contract permissions? You know, obviously, like permissions aren't the most kind of complicated things to understand, you know, because it, it it's clear, you know, things like, oh, well, you're giving permission to the contract to spend X number, you know, maybe a very large number of a specific type of token, you know, all of these things. Right. But, you know, even so, it does require kind of some amount of of you know, people dealing with, with this, these idea ideas. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is actually a huge pain point that I didn't mention, which is, you know, asking permissions for spending tokens or um, meta transaction, uh, which, which called solve that, which is, you know, the developer does a transaction itself. Every time we book a ride with a Uber, we pay 10 cents to AWS, but no one knows that. No one should know that. Just like when you interact with the Ethereum blockchain, you're not supposed to pay the gas fees. And maybe right now, one blocker is that the gas fees are so high that the developer is not willing to pay for it. And so that is why there is less incentive. But I hope that when we go to Ethereum 2, or maybe there's an Ethereum killer that comes, or if there's a layer 2 solution that makes it free or virtually free, then it should be handled by the developer and, and taken as you know overhead costs of doing business. Um, that would that would be a huge huge uh, reliever for the user, and you know yeah even the permission of, of asking for a token should be you know the exact amount just one time and automated every single time, uh, and I'm curious uh, about new possibilities here of automating this. I haven't seen I mean you know Meta Cartel which is a group I'm I'm from like worked on this and there's some solutions like Tabuki or Gas Station Network, but I don't see this widely used because. In DeFi, for instance, um, it's it's a monetary transaction. So you there's already money involved, and you don't mind paying that fee because that trade is going to be net positive for you anyway. Uh, but like in the future, if you want to have non-monetary or non-directly financial transactions, you need beta transactions. You need to hide uh, the permissions, the uh, all of these blockers for sure. Yeah, yeah, and tell and you know you may we talked a little around uh, Meta Cartel, but you know we'd love to just get the deep dive quick and and you know just encourage people around it. Yeah, for sure. So you know when you enter the crypto space, crypto is an emergent industry. Uh, it's not like AI where uh, there's there's tons of conferences and, and it's a smaller space. And so you can access it via Coinbase, which probably has a ton of great talents coming out of university, or you can access it via Consensus also employs a ton of people it's a bit corporate focused but it's great and because ethereum is a world world where you know ether is the main currency you can create community out of nowhere and so the outliers the, the weird ones the ones okay. that was that was not in stanford uh that still have so much passion that they want to break through walls this is where metacatel comes in and so nice. it's a bunch of people that reunited um, under one uh, common cause at the start, which was we want to fix meta transactions. So as we said, uh, you know, it's very annoying that users have to click and pay the get the, the transaction fees because no one pays the AWS fees, right? It's uh, the the service provider. And so this uh, work has been done in this space, and now it's uh, you know proper projects and companies working on it. Um, and so it left a group of friends with a culture around it. And they said to themselves in, you know, mid 2019, let's create a DAO where we pull funds and we invest in Ethereum applications. And it would solve the tragedy of the commons problem, which is, 
you know, Ethereum startups and applications right now do not make tons of money. <laughs> you know, White Combinator, they say, if you're in crypto, move to fintech. You know, you're not going to build a billion dollar company. But the thing is, if no one does that, of course, the Ethereum ecosystem doesn't make progress. And so if we all pull a bit of funds and we fund hackathon winners, uh, you know, just a few thousand dollars so that they can develop their application, we can really boost the ecosystem forward and everyone just puts a small amount and it amounts to a ton of funds that we can deploy effectively. Uh, and so DAO is very simple, just a shared wallet where, you know, every decision, if you don't agree, you can leave and you don't suffer the financial consequences of that decision. And so what happened is uh, I was one of the first person to, to ever contact Peter Pan, which was the creator, the, the summoner that we call uh, of the DAO. And I helped out in, in finding teams and, and people that we, we funded. And uh, now there's some great successes like Zapperfy. They just raised a seed round of a few million dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had it's Nodar great. on the show. He's, he's, he's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Nodar is amazing. And so, you know, uh, we found Nodar way before any VC saw it. Like he was just doing an educational resources. Uh, and now he's super successful and I'm reading for him to disrupt, you know, Blockfolio and the big... Yeah, yeah, D uh, DeFi Dad right. just joined Zapper, so... Exactly, yeah, and so they're also attract attracting great talents, so, so it's awesome. And same for, you know, Andre Kronje from Wi-Fi, like we were the first to fund them. Uh, uh, or uh, all of these people that were in the dark in 2018 and 2019, we, we funded them. Same for, uh, I don't know, Tornado Cash, which was funded by, by Moloch. Now it's a huge tool for mixing and, and privacy on Ethereum. Um, and, and now, so I, I, I didn't, I stayed on the beta capital grants team, but now there's a venture fund because they were like, well, we have a great deal flow now. And so it's now a collective of angel investors handling around, I think one to $2 million, but they hold a lot of ETH. So it's very volatile as a fund. And, um, you know, with the bull market, it, they probably will explode in capital. Right. And, um, so, so, so that's one point and it's actually an LLC as well. So it's the first DAO or, you know, company that was initially incorporated on Ethereum that is now incorporated as an LLC that is regulatory compliant. And I find it amazing. And so Metecatel became something amazing and uh, it still is a great way for new talents to break in the space. And it's not just me, there's also Cooperatoly, uh, which was also someone that even I onboarded when I was in San Francisco doing events for Metecatel. And now he is the lead contributor at the Defiant, which is a major publication in the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, and there's tons of stories like this. And I'm super grateful for being onboarded in Ethereum so quickly and with the best people ever uh, that I could find in that ecosystem without you know, having a job or without committing to uh, something so that I can directly optimize for the, 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 the highest learning curve ever. Yeah, that's fantastic, and what a what a great uh, organization, and you know, it's it's really uh, exciting and inspiring to to you know learn about it. So uh, yeah, any uh, I guess um, you know any any last kind of parting thoughts about uh, you know the future things you're things you're jumping into. So how do you see uh, the the future of crypto immediately? I know that uh, you're an advisor in in XRP, right, Arrington, or uh, you know, what, what are some exciting companies that you see as part of Gumi? Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to share. So, you know, we're obviously uh, very bullish on the DeFi segment. You know, we do have a number of uh, as yet unannounced uh, investments to make there. You know, I, we do think that custody is a very important one. There's a huge kind of shift that's occurring between these kind of centralized and decentralized exchanges. Obviously with AMM, you're seeing like a huge shift towards the DEX world and DEX liquidity. You know, people make all kinds of sort of erroneous comparisons. I think the thing that's important to understand is the growth and the rate of growth, you know, rather than the absolute size, you know. Binance is still bigger, but obviously, you know, if you really take CZ's word at his word, you know, he feels very threatened. Like he feels like, oh, you know, DEX is going to take over. You know, so sure. I think I think these are very important, you know, from the perspective of things like ETH scalability. I think right now we're kind of taking a breather. You know, I think uh, gas prices have come down, you know, I think which means that network activity is coming down, you know. So I think that the sort of yield chasing vampiric 
you know, fruits and papayas and pineapples and pickles, you know, like I think that that phase is slowing down, you know, and I think that in a way there was a phase almost where almost like new money was coming in you know, and their first, their first experience in the rabbit hole was kind of some kind of crazy Ponzi name food coin, you know, and so, so that, that's not sustainable. So, you know, I think we're taking a bit of a breather, but I think one of the things that's very exciting is, you know, we're absolutely seeing, you know, novel layer, layer two, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, advancements in projects like Optimism, you know, which I think is great. They're doing a thing with SNX, so they're doing a synthetics uh, demo, which is is extremely performant and fast, you know. So we're seeing great solutions, you know. Um, obviously, there's many others that are working in this space. Uh, you know, I interviewed... Uh, um, Solana and you know we're going to have one with scale and you know so we're, we're definitely excited about all those things you know we do see kind of an emergence obviously of things like dot you know and the thing that I think is really exciting about October is that you know we are seeing the emergence of these kind of long-running projects that are really starting to bear fruit right so you know we're going to see things like um Filecoin mainnet in the in the fair in the fair near future right so a lot of these types of infrastructures are going to really i think advance the platform right because you know people have been thinking ipfs but like filecoin is really where the game will be and if you think about their space race you know filecoin has successfully launched petabytes of storage and now they're going to go really further you know so it won't be it won't be long before we're talking about exabytes of storage and be sitting within the context of a you know of a filecoin right so you know for me like it feels like we're taking a breather but i think that the things that will potentially help to you know open the floodgates will be advancements in some of these key areas so i think that obviously the layer two scalability area is extremely important um you know i think we're also going to see the launch of eth2 staking which is the phase zero uh you know I, and to me like when i see that it's not about solving evm scalability by any stretch you know that's far that's an, for ethereum to do it natively and eth2 that's far future right but the thing that becomes interesting is is that the staking by itself produces kind of a vector for the eth base price right which is that more and more eth base price you know eth is going to get locked into eth2 staking contract you know and that that will choke the the supply right which will cause yeah kind of a, a really interesting you know thing about the price right so you know i see kind of a really pretty bright future um you know i i'm happy to see kind of local declines as a mechanism of i would call it like a native stress testing so you know if ether goes down in price you know it's almost like it's a test right because it, it feels like you know the these things can can't only be tested by the ETH price going up and up and up, right? Like, they, you know, some of these systems have to be tested when the ETH price is going down. Otherwise, they're not well-built. You know, we can't we can't know if they're well-built, right? They, they could be, they might not be, you know, so we need to see it all. Oh, yeah, for sure. Price is definitely a, a huge um, function of, of the security of the network. And uh, it's great because we've actually had a fair, you know, a fair amount of time with the ETH price being quite low even today. It's insane to, to think that, um, you know, um, DocuSign, which is a company that also signs electronically contracts, is valued the same amount as Ethereum, which is reinventing finance, right? And building the next, maybe the next biggest financial infrastructure in the world. And so I could see how it is super undervalued, but at the same time, it is a great test um, to, to see the network still works okay, even though it, it's not too big and... Uh, it is still hasn't been 51% attacked, at least not the Ethereum uh, normal version. Yeah, um, sure, and uh, sure. yeah, like excited for phase zero. I think, you know, it won't change our day-to-day -day lives for sure, but it helps push the narrative that the team is making progress and the exceptional engineers working on Ethereum 2 are shipping. And I think it's something that the public uh, would love to be updated on and um, super stoked about the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah. And the other one that I'm kind of tracking, too, is, uh, you know, I'm trying to get uh, 
Gavin Wood or Jutta Steiner uh, from Parody onto onto the show because we, you know, I'm excited to hear more about the progress around Dot because you know I do think Polkadot is another one of those projects that's been really just de- working on delivering software, you know, for for a, quite a quite a while, and you know I think having this kind of alternate universe with like essentially, you know. Um, uh, it's a it, you know it's a it's a different programming model as well so it it kind of offers a, a pretty exciting uh, frontier for developers well yeah it's great the more different projects uh the, the more we can learn faster and experiment faster so super excited i'm not a ethereum religious person uh by any means uh and uh, super excited to see even flow near um all the others uh, whether they build bridges or complementary or substitute of Ethereum, I want to see them all and, and let's see what are the pros and cons of every and each one. And it's open source, right? So they can all yeah. uh, learn from each other and, and copy paste. Yeah, yeah, will. yeah. We love that. Uh, you know, so I think I think it's it's been an incredibly innovative time, you know, and I think that each one of these kind of periods, uh, you know, kind of drives new innovation. But I, one of the things that I've been very happy about with this latest phase is that <clears throat> we've seen a shift in people's attitudes towards pragmatism, right? So instead of kind of insisting on things like universal, you know, mathematically provable uh, oracles, you know, th- things that like there, <clears throat> nobody's insisting on that anymore, right? People are more insisting on things that we're developing products like insurance on top of oracles. And we're developing products that are more about kind of financial security, you know, but not mathematical security. Like if you, if I can give you financial security, <clears throat> do you really need mathematical security? Like, no, because I'm going to make you whole. Right. And, you know, as we start to see, um, NXM and Nexus paying for things like BZX, you know, and the issues there, like, as we see more and more and more of this kind of financial assurance, then people start to feel more comfortable just doing, you know, reasonable business and financial things on top of the infrastructure, right? As opposed to being in a mood where it's like Bitcoin or nothing, right? Like I need proof of work. I need a hundred percent security. It needs to be mathematically proven, you know, so just super paranoid, super paranoid, right? And, you know, to, to me, what's happening with things like layer two is that there's more of a mood of kind of like, uh, you know, if the guy rips me off, then he's going to get burned he'll get slashed and you know like so yeah, I, yeah. let's just do it you know and, and it's insured anyway so if i if it crashes then i'm gonna get my money back from the insurance pool you know so there's much more pragmatism there's much more kind of like let's just go like let's let's try to make this as as good as possible and not perfect which i, I like because i perfect it used to be perfect or nothing and i think that was that was a, a long time where we were like yeah, perfect yeah. or nothing perfect think, or nothing yeah. Inflexibility is not a great feature. Like, you know, and I even think maybe Bitcoin would evolve in the future. uh, And that would, in something that sounds crazy to hardcore Bitcoiners today. Uh, And so inflexibility is never the right answer. This is why there is now governance uh, and votes uh, on chain, like the compound governance module where you can submit code or the opposite with Wi-Fi, where you first vote on something on a platform like Snapshot, and then you build the code. And so that means that, yeah, you are adaptable and flexible to the future that no one really knows about. Um, and uh, yeah, 100%, like it doesn't have to be perfect because it will statistically never be perfect on day one in a super fast and evolving environment. Like we always say technology goes fast, but crypto is another level. Like I've been there for a year, but like it's a totally different ecosystem now. Well, like, and it's oh. and it's amazing, right? Because I feel like this is that people are moving towards yield, right? And that really in a perfect market, which of course this is not, right? In a perfect market, there's a beautiful balance between risk and yield, right? So in a sense, if you're seeking yield, you know, you can just be like more and more and more yield, right? And, you know, if you really try to just solely maximize yield, what you're really doing ideally is you're ideally moving towards risk, right? You're, you're risking more and more and more, right? And so, but the thing that I think is so nice is that when you look at something like Compound or if you look at something like Ave Lend and you look at these ecosystems, like the yields are starting to get more mature looking, you know? And to me, like, that's great, right? Because you 
want to have a spectrum of products, you know, and you want to have, because ultimately, if you look at the comparison of CFI and DeFi, right, like how much yield are you getting from your, you know, bank account in the traditional world, right, which is a very, very close to zero, right? Like the prime yeah. lending rate in the United States from FOMC is like zero. Right. So like, it's hard to imagine how your, you know, how your regional bank will give you more. Right. Like it's so, so to me, if you look at the, you know, if you look at compound finance and like, you know, 4% or, you know, if you look at these stable yields, like it's still great. Right. Like it's like, it's still worth pursuing, you know, even though, and obviously the question, the bigger question is, is from a global market perspective, does that actually reflect the total risk? It's unclear. Right. So like, you know, it's really more about risk appetite and risk thesis and, you know, but I, you know, I think it's great. You know, I think the, the days of like people saying, well, you know, if it doesn't have at least 200% APY, then it's completely waste of time, you know, and then I'm really, you know, some people thinking like at least 10,000% APY or 100,000% APY, you know, so it's sort of like, eh, maybe, 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 or maybe not. It's crazy yield. And also it gets updated every block and it's never that much for, it, it can be sustainable at these levels. So yeah, I totally agree with your point. I think right now there's a basically like a very macro arbitrage level between, you know, DeFi, which is super tiny. And so it's not very efficient because of the fiat on ramp and off ramp being very slow. And so because we see an arbitrage, that's why the yield are so high on compound because uh, money can move much more freely. And so it's much more valued to, to, to borrow some funds on DeFi. But eventually in a world where crypto is ubiquitous and everywhere, yeah, I don't think the yield will be much more than the banks today. Maybe a bit more because, of course, crypto is more efficient money uh, fundamentally, but it probably will be something like 2 to 3% or 4% at most. Uh, it will never be 200,000% to the masses. And the masses don't want that. They think it's scammy. And they kind of have, you know, they, they're kind of right because it is scammy for someone non-educated. Because if you're not educated, you cannot distinguish scams from normal yes. projects yeah, yeah, with yeah. very high yield and high risk. <laughs> So it's, it's good that they have this kind of reflex uh, and reaction. So uh, yeah, the future will be much, much closer to the bank rates. But for now, we can enjoy the, the great yield if you're risk taking. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously, like uh, Andre Kranja said it very well, which is that it's sort of, uh, it's not really wealth creation as much as transfer in the sense that like, you know, you're, you're, it's moving, the wealth is moving from those who don't know towards those who know, right? That was kind of his way of framing it, right? So in yeah. a sense, if you're, you know, the, a couple ways of looking at where is the yield coming from, right? In a sense, like it comes back to what Warren Buffett says, right? Which is if you don't know who the mark at the table is, it's you, right? Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're the one that's giving the yield to the others, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't really understand the mechanism or if you don't understand, you know, what you're getting into, which I think is, one of the things we've seen more recently in the pullback is, is we've seen more recently that, you know, people are, are getting rug pulled and, you know, and so people are increasingly wising up to like, oh, I see, I'm the yield. Like, you know, lots others are getting lots off of me, you know, and okay, good, you know, good lesson. I think the fact that the, the market kind of stopped the, the, the euphoria that was quite momentary is a bear trap. So which means like, you know, there was a micro bull market this summer that kind of was a repricing event of the huge pessimism and um, like, you know, very down um, feeling of the crypto community since 2017. So it kind of repriced to yes. like a bit higher levels, yeah. but the next year or two or three or whatever time frame uh, are going to be extraordinarily uh, enormous in terms of wealth creation, probably like I, I can't predict, but. No, I'm optimistic about it. And I believe that your narrative is absolutely the way I reason about the space as well in terms of the things of market timing, uh, you know, which is that uh, if you look at the current kind of levels of price, like they're definitely up from kind of like six, 10, 12 months ago, you know, so like for sure that vector on Ethereum and on a lot of these kind of like very mature on Aave and Comp and Maker and all these kind of wonderful 
kind of base assets, right? So when you think about the DeFi lift, the ecosystem is lifted by these kind of novel, durable base protocols. I would include, you know, Wi-Fi in there. I'd definitely include some of these really new base layer protocols, right? But the thing that's so interesting is we're not, the ecosystem isn't going to be lifted to the next layer on like based or on, or even on like yield wars, you know, or even something that has functional utility like pickle, you know? So like, I guess what I'm saying is that that's not the next lift, right? To me, the next lift is uh, kind of, you know, things like dot, things like optimism, you know, things like Filecoin, you know, Filecoin, not as an inherent kind of compute layer, but more like a just build it. If you're going to build a world computer, like you'd like to have some storage. So like, you know, let's, let's, you know, and let maybe a graphics card, you know, so let's, you know, let's go ahead and, you know, try to try to build something, you know, that, that has the infrastructural power to lift you know, yet to the next level. And I, th- I think that, you know, for now, because I think we're taking a, a, a rest, right? Like, you know, we, we have, there's big, big, big platform players that will deliver big infrastructure, you know, this fall, right? So it's not, it's not even like we're taking a, a rest for a long time. Like, you know, it's, it's we're going to move yeah. uh, certainly before the end of the year, you know, and, and I think ETH2 will be a catalyst. It'll definitely be like more excitement. Oh yeah, definitely. We'll put pressure on every other team and competitor to to also deliver very quickly after. And yeah, like it's gonna unlock a ton of use cases uh, because right now we're kind of stuck with DeFi and maybe NFT artists because some art is valued very expensively. And so, despite the friction, it's still yeah, is, yeah. Is but what I see, what I think about this from the perspective of something like uh, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. Like I think art is definitely kind of near the tip of the pyramid and not the base. Right. So in a sense, like I think that uh, what we're doing with NFT and with art is I think we're preparing for the next push. Right. Driven more by the infrastructure, which is if, you know, if the infrastructure causes a huge lift. Right. Like, let's say like ETH2 staking begins and we start to see like ETH kind of rising. Right. I think that's the amount of infrastructure lift that can support more artists. Right. And can support more. Right. Because what will happen is that will spawn larger ether super whales, you know, which will start to become more patrons for like artists and, you know, individual creators and entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, sort of human individual coins like Alex, you know, so there'll be so many, it'll be more like a Renaissance feeling. Right. But the, you know, there has to be kind of a deeper infrastructural power that kind of drives. And I think that the drivers will definitely be the solutions for ETH scalability, which are coming, right. Which in some ways, some are already here. You know, I think, uh, you know, scale just did a deployment into uh, mainnet, so that that's exciting. Um, you know, uh, so there's a there's a whole bunch of you know. I'm gonna have a uh, Jack Holleran on the show. We'll talk about that. And you know, so so we're definitely seeing that's where the lift will come from. Like I think we're, there's a big, big, heavy lift coming, and you know, we're gonna see. Uh, I think the positive results on the top. You know, so I, I think to me the NFT artist thing is. It's in some ways it's it's preparation. Like we're preparing for the next really big lift. Yeah, totally agree with this. And uh, yeah, like super excited because there's more use cases than just finance. And yeah, like it's definitely more diverse crypto before the the huge boom than uh, the internet in the '90s, which was a bit more you know USA constrained. And uh, now it's a bit more diverse. And yeah, like you know artists will get wealthy and others, and so they will fund other artists and. Um, it will come, it will be like a new, you know, high income class. And it's, uh, it's awesome. And it's, it's more diverse than ever before, uh, in any other revolution, I would say. Yeah. And I think that in a way, when you really look at the cultural ethos of kind of Ethereum from its beginning, you know, there's definitely a lot of cultural creativity. There's a lot of kind of artistry. There's a lot of affection for this type of, uh, you know, ethos to not to make a pun, you know, so I, I feel like, you know, we're going to see uh, the emergence of something very grand, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, without being overly ETH centric, you know, we're already seeing kind of more, even more diversity, right? Like uh, the Neo blockchain, which was originally launched in the form of something called Ant, uh, you know, was originally touted as like Chinese Ethereum. You know, and they've launched the Flamingo Project, which is locked to date $1.6 billion, 
you know, not not all of it in Neo. Like we're seeing, you know, USDT. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing a ton of other things, assets moving in. You know, uh, looking for novel yield and liquidity, right? So, so you know, that's a big experiment in kind of like novel layer one. You know, and we're we're going to see others. We're going to see other kind of novel layer one solutions emerging with DeFi. Uh, you know, and and so uh, yeah, obviously the Cosmos and Polkadot, uh, you know parachain metachain constructs are emerging as well so you know it, it's going to be uh fascinating and you know it'll be it'll be a a very uh exciting and kind of dizzying uh next next phase you know i think i think in a way like for now uh i think it's wise to you know consider this to be a breather obviously none of this is investment advice and market timing is always opaque so if anyone tells you they they know what mar the market timing will be <laughs> you know i think it's perhaps uh you know there there's so many large macro forces that are that make you know it's like you yeah. you know uh, even even kind of on a global I scale <laughs> I, I things like things like you know U.S. presidential election you know like can can potentially affect things like the macro from the perspective of you know policies of the Federal Reserve in the U.S. and you know I, this is a, all of those macro elements are U.S. centric, but obviously you know the, the world is very interconnected. So there's so many other you know and that be, those are to me just local. I'm being in the U.S. Those are just local examples of of macroeconomic forces that could influence you know the price of Bitcoin, which could subsequently influence everything else. Right. So, you know, so I, those are all very, very hard to predict. So, you know, yeah, I, I'm not, it's super hard to say like, you know, buy now or sell now, you know, and I, I, I always avoid doing saying such things cause it's, you know, it's unhelpful. Like pe people should do their own homework and build their own thesis and, and they should, you know, really do, do their, do the work. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's always so hard. Um, and this is probably why there's some, you know, accredited investors law, even though they're not perfect, uh, is to stop from and protecting investors, right? That's kind of the root. I mean, um, I, I would love to give meta advice, right? Which is my meta advice is is that it's people should be playing with this stuff, you know. And I think you're you're a shining example, right? Like you you you've been playing with the personal personality token or whatever you want to call it, personal token, you know. And like the the if this really is like you know like the early 1990s internet you know that then people should definitely you know they shouldn't necessarily be like mortgaging their house and buying bitcoins you know like that that might not be the appropriate thing but like to me if you're not playing with it you're not gonna even have the ability to get it like you're not like you know like there's a lot of no coiners that like are just really against it and like <clears throat> you know it's it's sort of I get the reaction. I get, you know, there are scammers, there are hackers, there are all kinds of negative forces in here because of human greed. But like, I don't know. Like, if you're not playing with it, like, you know, it's it's you're you you might you might miss something significant. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's almost like insurance, like um, having a few percent in your portfolio, yes. just a tiny bit. Uh, and and sure, you know, there's there's tons of bad investments. But like this, the Lindsay effect was the longer something exists, the better it is. And, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they've been around for a long time now. Uh, and maybe other, uh, you know, like fundamental applications with lots of usage that uh, could expand if the technology uh, goes better. So if you can, you know, extrapolate the future, like what will get better? And if they get better, what applications, what blockchain will benefit the most um th there's a lot of uh, bets to put here but again yeah of course as you said no financial advice i'm a terrible trader and, and investor <laughs> i just i just have eth because it's pegged to the alex token and i think it's ETH amazing easiest you know risk slash reward and it's a commodity as well so uh, you know, I suspect that, you know, my, my gut feeling is that ETH is going to outperform and, you know, obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and to me, like, you have to think about it more from a sharp ratio risk adjusted perspective, right? Because I, I can always find you some shit coin that's outperforming ETH, right? There's always going to be one, like, you know, like on a given day during any given time period. Right. But like, um, 
you know, it doesn't mean that you should take everything you own and buy the shitcoin. Like that's that's you know, it makes yeah. no freaking sense. So like from a risk risk adjusted perspective, like ETH will to me feels like an incredibly outperform type of an asset, you know, going forward. So I, I, obviously not investment advice, you know, but the, you know, if there is a meta advice, like the meta advice is is just like you should absolutely be playing with this stuff. And and to me, you know, there's there's a word uh, in in Singapore called Kiasu, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it, it basically means that it's fear and hatred of losing, right? And and you need to get rid of that. And the way you get rid of that is by using small amounts, right? In the sense that like like in college, like I I bought Apple stock and my thesis was this is a good company. I like the brand. It's the the company's not gonna die. Right at the time, the company looked like it was gonna die. Like it, like it really, it had really bad, not Steve Jobs management, and and the company was declining, declining, declining. And you know what I did is, I panic sold. Like it dropped, and I sold at the bottom, right. like at the rock bottom, like uh, you know, and and it was like wow, like that is amazing, right? But here's the thing: is I lost the you know the theoretical amount of money that I would have lost is probably very large, right? But like on the flip side, like it's a valuable lesson, right? So to me, like, you know, it must be present to win. So like, you know, everyone should dabble, you know, and, 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 you know, if you lose, like you shouldn't, like, you should just be like, okay, well, well, you know, what, what does that mean? Like, you know, what, what can I, what can I learn from, from that, that experience? So that's what, that's what I think. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a really great uh, conversation and, uh, you know, really appreciate you coming onto the show from your space station. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, Miko. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, love to pick your brain anytime. Anytime. Yeah. Terrific. Talk soon. Bye.